Welcome to the Grow Bowl with Disability podcast, brought to you by Ferros Care, a podcast dedicated to smashing stereotypes and talking about the things people with disability care about most to help us live bolder, healthier, better connected lives. I'm journalist Pete Timms. And I'm Tristan Peters. I work for Disability Service Directory Clickability and I'm a wheelchair user living with spinal muscular atrophy. Welcome to today's episode of Grow Bowl with Disability. Unfortunately, Tristram can't be with us today, but he'll be back next episode. Today's episode of Grow Bowl with Disability is Growing Bold and Leadership, and our guest is Renee Barker Mulholland. Now, she's a proud First Nations woman from Birapai and Dungardi Nations who is disabled with both physical and psychosocial illnesses. Now, in this episode, we'll learn about what it's like growing up in a single-parent household and how moving in a state away from really close-knit family was a game-changer for Renee and helped her find her inner strength, her independence, and to become what she calls the queen of the outcasts. Renee, welcome to Grow Bowl with Disability. Thank you, Pete. What an intro. (laughs) The queen of the outcasts. We'll get to that a bit later, but I do love it. It's a great nickname. Uh, I wear it with pride. Yeah, so you should. Now, let's start way back in your childhood. Okay, so your mum became a single parent when you were pretty young. Yeah. What did that mean for your family? Um, For us, it meant as a family, emotionally, we became really close. Um, It was like me and my mum and my brothers against the world and, you know, we could defeat anything with just the four of us. But in the practical side of things, it was really difficult. So... Um, we were really poor, dirt poor, literally. Um, my mum would often go without meals because I had, I had two bigger brothers. They were twins and they, you know, ate like bottomless pits. So quite <laughs> often my, my mum would go without, you know, dinner or, or, or that extra meal so they could have those things. And, you know, all the practical things that come with, with being poor. I don't think we actually owned a car throughout my entire, entire childhood. So, it was public transport or nothing. Did that make you feel different to others around you? Um, I was lucky in that I had my family around me. And so, you know, my best friend lived next door and my, my cousins lived up the street. So I still had a network, um, but it was really isolating in the, in the wider community um, because I I knew that I was really different. You know, I'd always be catching the bus home. I'd never get picked up by someone. If someone came to school in a car and was coming to pick me up, you knew that something had either happened or, you know, it was an exciting moment when someone came in a car. So Could be good um, or bad. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But you knew something was going to happen. And um, so... you know, I kind of, I remember having memories of, of people inviting me to do things like, you know, go go horse riding or, um, and while we might be able to get the money together to go, we wouldn't physically be able to get there. So it was, it was pretty obvious. I was pretty aware of it from a young age, I think. Now, mum was obviously bringing up you mm-hmm. and your brothers. Yeah. But she was, she's a pretty amazing person, really, isn't she? She's, she volunteered a local community center. She was an advocate for tenants' rights in the community, um, community housing. She organized support groups for domestic violence survivors and ran the committees. That's just amongst some of the things. Yeah. How did her leadership within the community rub off on you? That's a good question. Um, did I you think... even realize what it was? No, 
No. Um, you know, I cared for my mum for a long time after in, at the end of her life and um, often people would say to me, you know, you're so amazing what you do for your mum and, and this is such an amazing thing to do but for us that's what that's what you did, you know, when people needed help, you helped them and if I've got two of something and you need one of them, then there's no sort of question that you, you get that support. So I think um, it was kind of like a situation where I just knew, you know, I, I was just surrounded by it. So there was no formal sort of lessons on on what this meant, but I could see other people being impacted by her, you know, advocacy and her, you know, her spirit. So I think it kind of just, yeah, rubbed off on me. Was it just mum or was there aunties and other people within the family who were similar in their sort of leadership roles within the community? Yeah, look, I my aunties are some of the most amazing women in the world, both on my mum's side of the family and my dad's side. I've got so many great examples of the matriarchy being. I feel like the matriarchy saved me, you know, from um, from a life that could have been quite different. But having the love of these women and and seeing women in roles, in leadership roles, um, but also seeing women in roles around the home um, modelled every kind of person that I wanted to grow up to be. There was an example of that in front of me. And it, it's a pretty amazing thing. When you when I look back on it and think about the amount of um, women and family and support that I saw in action, it yeah, it certainly gave me a great base to start from. Now, when you were young, you moved into state, as I mentioned in the intro, and amongst other things, you attended at least five different schools in about five years. Yep. Looking back, how do you remember those days? Um, it's it's kind of hard to look back because uh, there were experiences I had that were really negative, um, and you know there was bullying and things like that. Especially, uh, I, I remember being bullied about wearing the same pair of pants twice in a week. And I thought it was strange because, you know, who bullies somebody about wearing the same the <laughs> same pair of pants? But also it showed me um, that negative side of, of being the new kid on the block. But it also um, really developed, helped me develop resilience of being able to, you know, stand up in front of, you know, when they you're the new kid and yep. you see it in the movies and all the time, you're the new kid and you've got to stand up and, and give an introduction of yourself. And that was like, a, you know, a baptism of fire into public speaking or advocacy because I had to stand up and present myself and my identity in front of these people. And getting to practice that was great. Um, but I now, you know, now that I'm a parent, I recognize the benefits of, of being able to stay within a certain environment for my children. I see the benefits of, of being able to, you know, maintain that consistency in my schooling. Interesting, because you, you've moved around a lot and it's obviously made you the strong, independent woman that you are. I know you wouldn't highly recommend moving around maybe five times in five years, but it's interesting that you think that stability is probably a little bit more, more important. Is that, a, is that a generational thing perhaps as well, or is it just you didn't enjoy it that much. You got bad, not, not so great memories of it. Oh, I mean, if you ask my partner, he'll probably tell you that I still, I still do it. I still make him move around a lot <laughs> um, because we have we've lived in a few different places just as a family myself. But I think for I think it's personality based more than anything. Mm. My my kids are 
different people to me, obviously, but, you know, their personalities are so different that I I think I'm just lucky to be able to respond to that now, whereas um, maybe my mum didn't have a choice, whereas now I have more of a choice around those things. Um, so I don't know. I, I would always recommend going somewhere you haven't been before and just even if it's, you know, the next local town that you've never stopped in and even if you just stop there for 10 minutes and have a look around, it's always interesting to go somewhere new. But I, I also now see the benefits of, of of sticking around in one place. Yeah. So with all those moves, it was in high school that probably unbeknownst to you at the time, that your leadership qualities sort of started coming through. Just sort of those little idiosyncrasies of your mum were starting to shine through. Yep. Tell us about how you became the queen of the outcasts. Uh, look, I think I was forced to. Yeah. Um, I had no other – I think by the time I got to the, the school where I did the most time and – coincidentally where I actually met my partner. We met in high school and we're high school sweethearts. So very nice. Um yeah. So there was one benefit of, of changing <laughs> all those schools. But um I think it kind of forced me to because I was not prepared to have people tell me that I needed to conform to a certain or, or even trying to attempt to conform. I, I wasn't um how would you put it? I yeah, I I just never have felt the inclination to be like everybody else, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of a an oxymoron because you can't be like everybody else because everybody else is their own individual person. So I think it kind of forced me to do it because when I got there, it was at a moment in my life where I had to draw a line. And, you know, thinking back now, I was 15 or 16 and mm. it's it's an incredible thing for a young person to kind of recognise, but to draw that line and say, you know, for my own mental health, I'm not going to try and reach something that, you know, I'm always going to be Aboriginal. I'm always going to be tall. I'm always, now, I'm always going to be disabled. Nothing is going to change that. So... I have to work on getting to a point where I'm happy with what what I am, with who I am. And so it was at that point that I just couldn't, I, I drew the line and said, you know what, if you're not going to accept me, then I say, stuff your your system and I'll, you know, have my own little party over here. Then anyone who wants to come is welcome to join. And you got a few followers by the sounds of it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, I mean, I wouldn't call them followers. I just call them friends. But yeah. it it. it it certainly gave, I noticed it having an impact on other people, um, an impact on them being able to say, you know what, maybe, maybe I don't have to worry so much about that. And, you know, I'm still in contact with people that I met in high school and, and from that little group of, of friends that I declared myself the queen of the outcasts. And, um, you know, I've had them tell me after 10 years that, I made a difference in their life, which is a really, it's a really confronting thing to hear um, because it means you have to accept that positive things about yourself, which I know is quite difficult. I'm working on taking compliments and things like that. So <laughs> um, it's, you know, but having these people say to me, you gave me, uh, you gave me a chance or you gave me an example of of what I could do mm. and I appreciate it. And, yeah, I absolutely love that. I love that, you know, little teenage me was sticking it 
to the, you know, <laughs> sticking it to the mean guys and, and saying. <laughs> All the bullies. Oh, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you think you recognise at the time the leadership qualities that you have? I mean, you're the queen of the outcasts, but did you actually realise that you were part of this merry little crew, if you know what I mean? No. That you had these qualities, no? No, absolutely no idea. And even, you know, looking back on it, I I kind of almost, it's like I mentioned, it's very hard for me to take compliments and I see that as a really great compliment. So it's really, um, it's really difficult to accept, but I had no idea at all. I was, you know, I like to think that I, my behaviour, I'm the only person that has to live with it at the end of the day. So if I'm not happy with that, then, you know, I'm the one that's going to, going to be rolling over it and thinking about it and doing all those things. So mm. um, I think it just came from that, you know, that push of not wanting to accept. And I mean, I'd been told that from the beginning. You don't have to accept anything but what makes you happy. You don't have to accept any kind of behaviour from people that you don't think is, you know, treating you the way that you want to be treated. So I, I kind of, I think the message just stuck. And who told you that? Oh, was that mum? Mum, aunties, yeah, absolutely. I have a great memory of my my dad's sister coming to visit me when I was probably, gosh, not even three, and she's a very tall woman, and so I remember her being this this great giant of a woman who um, bundled me up and told me how wonderful I was and that I could do anything, you know, all those cliched things that people maybe don't say a lot because they sound so contrived. But I remember hearing it at that age and just thinking, yeah, maybe I am. And if I don't, if there's moments in time where I don't, I can't necessarily believe that, knowing that other people believe that is also really helpful. Mm, yeah, nice. Well, let's skip forward. Mm-hmm. 25 years old, studying fashion, yep. a mother to a young baby with a disability, mm-hmm. but some things weren't feeling just right for you, were they? Tell us what some of your symptoms were and what sort of changed and what the eventual diagnosis was. So, I mean, for a long time, I just thought it was me being tired and uh, being overweight. I thought those things were what made it hard for me to, you know, a lot of the people that I was studying fashion with were almost 10 years younger than me and um, seemed to have all this energy and didn't have the responsibilities of, you know, caring for a child and caring for my mum at that time as well. And so I, for ages, I just thought that the tiredness and the sort of um, what I perceived as, as tiredness and exhaustion, but was actually pain. I just ignored it for a long time. But um, I remember not being able to stand up in, I was in a pattern drafting class and they make you stand at these ridiculously large tables and draw really long lines. And it's, it's for someone with a disability like mine, it's really difficult. And I remember thinking, you know, there's, there's got to be something more to this because I'm trying my hardest and things are not happening. You know, I'm still, I, I was pregnant with my second child and I couldn't, even walk around the block. I would try. I think we were trying to go tr- trick or treating one year, and um, you know, I I couldn't even make it a couple of hundred meters around the block because I was in so much pain, and it just felt like all of my joints were on fire. And it, that, when my mum passed, um, it really made me think maybe I should listen because I'd seen her put 
I'd seen my mum put other things forward in front of her needs mm. my entire life, you know, missing out on meals and then not going to the doctor because it was too much hassle or she had, you know, and I I just, I couldn't do it anymore. So I asked every single doctor that I could, <laughs> that would see me, you know, there's something going on here. Mm. And time after time after time, I got just lose some weight and you'll be fine or, you know, try eating better or getting more sleep or, and, you know, I was doing those things and it just didn't make a difference. Um, and so finally I, I ended up actually seeing a doctor. Um, I, I'm the kind of patient that likes a doctor that has a very welcoming bedside manner. I need someone who's going to sort of really make me feel like it's okay to be there. But I, I ended up seeing a doctor that I wouldn't normally see at the same clinic that I'd been going to. And, um, you know, I said, look, I'm, I'm back again because I, I need another test or I need something to happen because this is just not sustainable for me anymore. And, um, yeah, he, he, he said, stand up. And he was a, a man, a very soft-spoken man who, who didn't say very much at all, but he said, stand up. And he got me to do a couple of, I think a, a couple of stretches or trying to touch my toes or something and set me off for a blood test. And when I went back to the follow-up, he said, oh, I think you've got ankylosing spondylitis and gave me this piece of paper with the blood test results and said, you know, go off and see a rheumatologist. And of course, what's the first thing you do when you get a diagnosis is you Google it to find <laughs> Dr. out Google. What, what it's about. Yes. yes. Well, can, can you explain? Because it's a bit of a mouthful. I can't even say it. Yes. Ankylo- I think it's called something else now. There's there's new change. But what I got diagnosed with is something called ankylosing spondylitis also got diagnosed with fibromyalgia at that time mm-hmm. um, and I've had I've been diagnosed with depression and anxiety for a long time before that but um, so ankylosing spondylitis is a form of um, inflammatory arthritis that affects it can affect your spine and your hips but it can also affect all the other limb uh, sorry joints in your body it leads to if it gets really bad um, and and untreated, it can um, mean that your spine gets fused together, oh. um, so it's unable to move around. So yeah, in between the, it, I, I won't get too technical, but in between the discs in in my back, there's little spurs growing, and and they cause a lot of pain and and cause a, a lack of mobility as well. Like I, I have trouble um, moving around or. If I do, it, it's pretty painful. Mm. You're a wheelchair user now, yeah? Yes. Oh, I should have been for a long time before, but I, it, it was a very, it was a mental hurdle that I had to get over. But yeah, I've been a wheelchair user for um, since since my second child was so about five years now. And right now, I have I like to call it the world's best wheelchair because it's absolutely amazing. It can go on the beach, it can go on snow, it can go, yeah. So I love getting out on country with the kids and, and you know, <laughs> going for it and, and climbing mountains with it. So that has been an amazing, you know, it's been a game changer. I don't know if, if you've ever used a wheelchair before, but... um, no, it's a shame Tristra, my co-host, he's a motorized wheelchair user. He plays sport in it and everything. Yeah, well... That uh, I've been looking into soccer and things, so I'm I'm sad that I didn't get no. to chat to him about it. But um, yeah, it's uh, I've been using it, and I also use one at home. But you know, the biggest obstacle by far using a wheelchair is just lack of physical access to things. Mm. Um, you know, once I got over my 
my reservations, I suppose, about using a wheelchair and what that meant for me, because it's, it's quite a pill to swallow to have to admit that you're going to give up independence of being able to walk. But, you know, it changed my life for the better. Mm. I'd highly recommend anyone do it. Great to hear. What about now? That's obviously one side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the sort of things one, that can help you along. What now you mentioned, obviously, chronic pain and all that sort of stuff. We did they try to heavily medicate you? What, what were some of the other things you did? Um, look, I at this point in time, my pain is the best managed it has been, and that's because I use a lot of different things. So I love water therapy. That's like being in the water is, is where I feel the best. Um, so, you know, doing things like going to the pool or, um, making sure I do my stretches with my exercise physio or, uh, massage is another one also. That's really great to reset my body and, and, and relieve that pain. Um, and so I do take medication, but I think without the other components of pain management, um, it, yeah, it wouldn't be as well managed as it is. So since your diagnosis, obviously you were in the fashion world and you met a lot of interesting people there. Mm-hmm. Now you're coming into the disability community and there's some amazing people in that community. Tell us, who are some of the, have you come across many sort of leaders and people who inspire you within the disability community? Yeah. Um, and they happen to be women as well. <laughs> so, uh, look, there's Marley Hermans. Do you know Marley? No, I don't know Marley. Might have to look into Marley this. Marley Oh, she, I think she works for Women with Disabilities Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a black fella. She helped me. Uh, well, she was part of the um, founding members of the Disability Justice Network. So she inspires me, absolutely. She is staunch and compassionate and so community focused and just is a kind, even though she's younger than me, she's the kind of person I want to grow up to be, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because she is, um, she's just the epitome of, I mean, I, I sound like she's a wonderful person. That's what I'll, I'll leave her to. Um, and the other person that inspires me endlessly is Carly Finlay. Ah, she, yes. She, yeah, was in our yeah. first, she was in season one of Grow Bell with Disability, one of our first ever guests. She's amazing. Yes, absolutely. And she, you know, she is a, incredible example of how you can combine fashion and disability and it doesn't have to be one or the other you know that that community can be both things and that people with disability can have it you know be members and be parts of any community that they wish to but yeah she endlessly teaches me how to back myself and that is a skill that I'm very grateful for well maybe she's a new queen of the outcasts no, 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 she can just want to be the princess. No, <laughs> <laughs> she can't take that title from you. No, no, no. And but you know, she is a woman that is constantly thinking of others, and yeah. Um, but also herself, she's always teaching me to back myself, and I think that's something that people with disability really could use. You know, that they might need that extra push to advocate for something that they want or, yeah, whatever it is, I think backing yourself is, is a great example to follow. Yeah. Well, actually, on that note, the we always wrap up the podcast with the same question. And as you know, it's called Grow Bold with Disability. We always like to ask people, what does growing bold mean to you? <sighs> That's a, I've been pondering this. 
in anticipation. <laughs> um, I I happen to think I'm a naturally bold person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I've had to grow into understanding what that means for me and what I need to, how I want to express that, I think. So learning how I want to express what what is important to me. And the other thing about being a disabled person, and in my case, someone who deals with fatigue and, and pain a lot, to grow bold is also to put yourself first. So you can say, it's okay for me to rest or it's okay for me to make choices that are the best for me. And I think that's a really important thing to do, especially when, you know, especially when the messages we get is that productivity is, you know, paramount and that what you do and that that glorification of busyness. Um, And, you know, to be bold enough to say, you know what, I'm just going to sit on the couch today and watch some TV and that's perfectly okay Mm. and I'm still awesome, you know. It doesn't mean I'm, I'm a lesser person because of that. Yeah, nice. Fantastic. Now, listeners can find out a little bit more about Renee. There's a new book out. You may have heard us mention before. It's called We've Got This, Stories by Disabled Parents, and they're published by Black Ink, who helped us get in contact with Renee. So you can find that at all good bookstores. Renee, thanks so much for joining us today at Grow Bowl with Disability Podcast. It's brought to you by Ferris Care. You're an amazing guest. Thank you, Pete. I really enjoyed my chat. This podcast is brought to you by Ferros Care, an NDIS partner delivering local area coordination services in Queensland, South Australia and the Australian Capital Territory. Ferros Care is a people care organisation committed to helping people live bolder lives. We call it Growing Bold. And for over 30 years, Ferros has been making it real for both older Australians and those living with disability. To find out more, head to ferroscare.com.au.